0: Good evening dear brothers and sisters, David here, and a pleasure to uh, try and lead you this evening. We are in difficult times indeed. Just to share briefly some of our news in the family. I continue to be working three days a week, but if you're worried about me in London, I tend to only be around the sites for about an hour and a half and we, we keep well away from each other and have a mask and all those precautions. Um, Wendy is uh, struggling, probably particularly, with the isolation business. Nathan and Helen and the family are on lockdown, uh, at least until the end of Monday. But even then, we're still isolating a little, aren't we? Very hard with little ones. But um, so just to uh, give you that a little bit from us. But let's just come to God in prayer. And then uh, we've got ahead uh, some songs which uh, Phil and uh, I think Maria and Anika have put together. I haven't heard them yet, but they'll be spliced into this. I'll announce those and, and then we'll read a bit in Matthew. Let's pray. My Heavenly Father we are, uh, all of us, hurting and anxious in these times and it is a, a very important time to uh, turn away from all the things on the news to you, to, to look at your face, to ask your help, we pray uh, our gracious Father that you would have mercy on our country, on our world, uh, we are troubled and we pray Lord that you will um, bring some stories of, of goodness, that we are picking up little things, of, of things that community minded people trying to help, but Lord we know that there are many who are. Very lonely, very fearful. Pray you will protect those who are the most vulnerable. And Lord, that you will uh, lead us through this hard time. We are all longing, and we hope that there will be some light at the end of this tunnel, that this is just a matter of weeks and not months. That we are in your hands. And Father, we pray for ourselves as a church. It's so difficult to be isolated unable to meet, unheard of times. Um, In whatever way we can, whether by phone call or or using this Zoom or other things, Lord, help us to find some way to to bring fellowship and to have fellowship. So we commit our evening to you and ask you to help us. Thank you for your word and we commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. have a couple of songs uh, before we'll read, and the first one is number 408 in the books. So there will be words on the PDF if you want to look out for that, and Steve will tell you where he's put them on an email. Um, but Ride On, Ride On in Majesty is 408 if you do have a book, and we will follow, we'll follow that one by 407, All Glory, Praise and Honour. So we'll do those both in succession, and then I'll come back and we'll be reading. Pew <music> pew do yeah. 20 and verse 29 through to 21 and verse 17. Uh, My main focus is on Jesus at the temple, but we will read all of this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. So we'll come to look at, uh, at this passage we've read, and I want to go through uh, five parts in the main to, to what we're doing. I want to give a quick overview, since we don't have Uh, a temple these days, we hear about it perhaps in other religions, I want to give a quick quick overview of of where the temple came from in the Bible and how it all started, Uh, just so you have some idea of of what the practice was in the New Testament. And then we'll go on to see uh, briefly Jesus entering Jerusalem, Uh, and obviously he, he goes on within Jerusalem to end up at the temple. And I want to see what he did there and why. Uh, And then we'll see the different reactions and then we'll try and draw some lessons. So without more ado, um, the temple. Now, many of you will know, but one or two of you who who are less familiar with the Old Testament, it might help to know that originally um, where this all started was a a very portable uh, enclosure. This was after the time when um, the the Israelites were rescued from Egypt and they were traveling for 40 years in a wilderness and God told them to make a tabernacle. It's interesting that word actually literally means to dwell and you can find some of these details in Exodus 27 verses 9 to 19 but they they were told to set up this portable fenced enclosure uh, within which was a tent and an altar within a courtyard Within the tent, there was a holy place, uh, and further further inside as well, the Holy of Holies. Uh, And in that place, the very holy place, was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, containing the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments given to Moses and Mount Sinai. And for the people, for those many years, this was the place where God was dwelling. And you know the other pictures around this that that, that near this there's a pillar of cloud uh, by day and by fire at night but this was god's visible and strong presence among his people the tabernacle and then later on uh, we find david wanted to build a temple but it was solomon in fact who was allowed to do it uh, first and he built a very grand building a very permanent building and and in 1 Kings 6, we get a little detail that this one was using stone and cedar, and uh, key areas of this were gold-plated. Almost everything you could see, I think, was plated with gold. And it was in Jerusalem. But even Solomon, <coughs> in this stage, uh, having built this magnificent building, and perhaps he would have had every reason to think that this was great, and, um, but, but as he commissions the temple... And as he really reflects on what's going, he says in 1 Kings 8 and verse 27, he says, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Interesting thoughts from Solomon there. But keep in mind, the other setup of this is very similar to the tabernacle, and within the temple, There was very much a a sequence of courtyards you went through and depending on who you were, you can't get quite so near. Nearer the Holy of Holies, just outside there, the priests would be dealing with things on the altar. Um, People bought their animals for sacrifice. Uh, And again, there was this holy place, but only the high priest would have gone there and only once a year. So that was the nature of the temple. Think of it's hard to imagine what it might be like for those Old Testament people, this focus in the middle of the, of the area where God dwells, and uh, a place where you could bring your sacrifices and you could worship. The thing you have to realise that was so obvious was that God was holy and the people were sinful. Now the reason this was so obvious is because the law had said that on a daily basis there were sacrifices to be made, worshippers could not come empty handed, and there were priests, these were from the tribe of Levi, and they had to take these sacrifices and offer them to God. They stood very much in in the place between God and the people. And in a way that makes us balk these days, uh, blood had to be shed to atone for the sin of the people. And we really find this so hard to understand that in the place where you might go to worship God there would have been blood spilt frequently. It reminds us in Hebrews 9 and verse 22 that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Although we may balk at these ideas it does point up that God's Presence uh, was no cosy thing. This was not something that people could bear. Now you will picture in your in your minds Moses coming down the mountain. Many of you will know these stories that where he had been close with God, he was his face was shining, and when people saw him, people of Israel, they couldn't come near. There was something quite um, scary about the presence of God. There are several other examples in the Old Testament of of what God's presence was like and how formidable it, it, it was. One is in 1 Kings 8 and verses 10 and 11. And this is around the commissioning of Solomon's temple. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, I'm just reading that passage, the cloud filled with the temple of the Lord, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple." Now this is the whole idea of of God's glory in his presence being a very weighty thing and something the people could not stand. Um, And I will just suggest to you, if you want to explore that idea in the Old Testament, if you read parts of Ezekiel 10 and 43 where the glory of God first of all departs from the temple and later on returns there is even more dramatic language and description of the weightiness of God's presence and and how it made people fall face down. And Solomon's temple, if you just want a few dates on this, Solomon's temple was built around 1000 BC Um, Although it was very glorious and magnificent and and meant to be permanent, it, it didn't last forever and this was very much to do with the sin of the people. Um, it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC, God allowed that. And then we find the people of God in exile and they returned from exile in 538 BC. It's interesting when they were rebuilding the temple, and some of this is under uh, Nehemiah, uh, A destroyed temple and you can think after many many years, 70 or so years, the people are now putting things together and you know the story in Nehemiah and Ezra about this, particularly Ezra on the temple. But it's interesting the mix of feelings because some of the people who were building that temple remembered the old one, some of the older people, and it's interesting just little details to find in Ezra 3 in verse 12. It says, many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of the temple being laid because this new one actually was much more ordinary but still others who didn't have that memory they were shouting for joy so on the second temple went for a while it stayed and then just before Jesus I think King Herod did some quite major modifications to the temple. so there's just a potted history of um, the temple so picture it in Jesus' day of Jerusalem, and and this was a place where the priests officiated. And as I say, just imagine these different courtyards, perhaps there, uh, and, and not so many could get to the inner courtyards. That was the whole process of keeping people distant. So now I just want to um, pick up from Matthew 21 uh, and verse 1 just that section through to 12, that Jesus enters Jerusalem. If we picture back what we've been looking at about Jesus' ministry and his healings and his teachings, um, this is the long-awaited public coming of the king to his city. Uh, We read in the story two disciples were sent ahead to pick up a donkey and her colt, Uh, but even these little details were told in what we read fulfill what was said in Zechariah 9 and verse 9 see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey and we hear that large crowds spread their cloaks and palm branches ahead of him that's in verse 8 and palm branches spread down these are a symbol of victory and triumph now these words are quite pregnant with meaning and Victory and triumph, but here is a lowly king on a donkey. And uh, perhaps, as, as we know so many times, the people, the Jewish people, wanted to crown him king. They wanted him to take the Romans on by force. So what sort of victory? What sort of victory is Jesus um, about to accomplish? But the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Lest is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is around the time of Passover, so there are a lot of people who don't normally live in Jerusalem visiting for this annual event, and the whole city was stirred. So then we just move on to verses 12 uh, to 14, and, and I want to pick up what exactly Jesus is doing in the temple, and, and why, of course, why is he doing it? Verses 12 and Tells us that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So that was, uh, you have to picture in, in the outer, larger courtyard. Now, this would be probably the courtyard of the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles were now being included, although I think some of the Jews were probably a bit slow to really, really welcome that. Uh, the Jesus ministry was going out there. Probably in this outer courtyard, there was a lot of activity, uh, buying and selling. Now, if you were a worship in those days and you brought your perfect sacrifice, it had to be a good quality lamb or, or whatever it was you, you were asked to bring. If you'd come from a distance, of course, your animal may be in a terrible state, it might not even survive the trip. So you might have had to buy the acceptable sacrifice in the temple courts. There was also a temple tax to be paid. That had to be paid with Jewish coins, not Roman coins, so there would have been money changes. And the the feeling of what was going on there is that this had become a place where there was a lot of profiteering, um, that there was a collusion between some of the chief priests and the traders and uh, the poor were being exploited, people who couldn't afford to buy the things that were good to, to give to God. Uh, and there was something really bad about this. So Jesus comes and, and you see him angry. You see him driving out uh, those who were buying and selling and overturning tables. But then why? Why does he do this? And he quickly Uh, tells us also in verse 12 verse 13 he says my house will be called a house of prayer and he's quoting from Isaiah 56 and verse 7 but you have made it a den of robbers so Jesus had come to his city he'd come to the temple the focal point of where uh, heaven and earth meet And he he didn't like what he saw. He was rejecting it. The temple was meant to be a place where people met with God. You see in this remarkable authority that he had, and perhaps even more remarkable is that he appears to be unchallenged. You can't quite imagine, you pick almost any established religious establishment in our country where someone goes in and really changes what's going on and you don't think it'd be very long before the security men are handling you and removing you and restoring the peace but not here you wonder why that might have been perhaps in the background the great popularity of Jesus and the crowds around Jerusalem made the priests and the temple people very afraid Um, but perhaps also just this was God and he had an authority. Uh, But this one man was stirring things up and he was unchallenged. It is interesting little details you pick up, there are some parallel passages in Mark and Luke Um, but in Mark 11 and verse 16 we get a little extra detail that Jesus would not allow anyone carrying merchandise to go through the temple courts. So that suggests um, not not just the sinfulness of the activity but the busyness of the activity was also uh, something that Jesus did not want in a place where people were seeking or should be seeking God. Unholy activity and excessive busyness and we see the righteous anger of God. But what's the what's the third thing? If he's overturning tables and driving out um, the traders, what's the third thing? Uh, a rather unusual thing we pick up here in verse fourteen: the blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. What an interesting contrast! That, imagine any of us have been very angry and moving around to suddenly find a very big change of mood. And a vulnerable group uh, come to him in the temple. Such a compassion is shown here, and he does heal them. In itself, uh, a lovely story. Um, we've also noticed in the earlier part we read in, in Matthew twenty-eight and twenty, sorry, twenty and twenty-nine. There were some blind people healed uh, just before he comes into Jerusalem. But there is a little more to this, I wonder, um, in terms of who Jesus was. And I just ask you to hark back to John's question that was sent to Jesus when John was in prison. Do you remember the one, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And what did Jesus reply? This is in Matthew 11, verses 3 to 5. Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight the lame walk. So that's an answer from Jesus. um, Are you the Messiah? He doesn't answer it quite directly, but he says uh, that's what's going on. That should tell you the answer. And there is an earlier prophecy. uh, It's a couple of times in Isaiah, but I just quote one of them to you. This is in Isaiah 35 and verses 4 to 6. Your God will come to save you And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy. So there are older writings predicting that when the Messiah came, uh, this is the kind of thing he would be doing. So this is drawing attention to Jesus such a Messiah. But it's interesting, perhaps even beyond the compassion and that, that, um, um, those references to the Messiah healing blind and lame, it, it's interesting to notice also that the Jews typically um, excluded the blind and the lame from the temple. And there was some, perhaps some, um, perhaps muddled history on why they did this. Um, One aspect of it goes back to a story when David took Jerusalem from the Jebusites, and this is recorded in 2 Samuel 5, uh, and around verse 8, a little bit before and after. And uh, the Jebusites, up uh, up on the city in Jerusalem, on a high hill and feeling very impregnable, um, they mocked David's attempt to take the city and said, Oh, we're so so confident you can't get us, we're just going to put the blind and the lame on guard. Um, as you know, those of you who, who know this story, David cunningly eventually his people find a plan to go up the water shaft, and they do take the city, but they don't forget the uh, the way that these people mocked. And in two Samuel five and verse eight, there is a, a sense that the blind and the lame were um, kept away from God's house. Uh, at least that was the provocative hate that David had at the time. I don't think he um, completely stayed with that. As you say, you will also know, some of you have heard of Mephibosheth, a friend who was lame and came to stay with uh, David, that he was not consistently keeping out blind and lame people. But there was a part of that. But also, there was something in Leviticus 21 about, um, in the same way that people bringing sacrifices had to bring perfect sacrifices, certainly on the, the priests operating the temple, they had to be people. Uh, largely without defect. Um, But I think the Jews had probably taken this a step further and and they had kept the the, the blind and the lame out of the the temple altogether. Um, So there is something else, apart from the compassion of healing uh, blind and lame, Jesus is is welcoming groups that were previously kept away. Um, And the only other part of this... uh, idea of the invitation to access to God widening is that in, in the Mark parallel passage in Mark 11 um, we get a little extra information we, we heard about Jesus responding saying this is meant to be a house of prayer but Mark says for all nations he adds and uh, we've, we've heard Phil reminding us so many times of the temple up on the hill and that the nations will stream to it. This was This was the vision of where this was all going, that other people would also come and enjoy God uh, and access to him. There was um, an earlier episode when Jesus came to the temple and did something fairly similar, clearing the temple with anger. Uh, This is recorded in John chapter 2 and verses uh, 19 and 20, perhaps a little bit before that. And when uh, the Jews at the time asked Jesus to give a sign um, to them, he said, and they took it as a bit of a riddle, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now they thought he meant the building, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. So this is not in our passage, but in an earlier, very similar event at the start of Jesus' ministry. What a, what a clear statement there was of how the temple had a short life and that Jesus was going to fulfil uh, uh, the, the, and replace the temple. Very clear words here. They thought he meant the building, but the temple that he had spoken about, that Jesus had spoken about, was his body. So, we, um, we see Jesus entering Jerusalem, the lowly king, and he is rejecting what he finds, particularly in the temple. And we've seen a little from the reaction of, of the chief priests in the temples that they didn't like Jesus, they weren't going to get in there and stop him physically, but they were angry, they were angry. And as a result of this uh, discord, uh, even if it was a little in the background at the moment, as we all know in the story, soon enough Jesus would be um, crucified, as they couldn't tolerate him any, any more. We also noticed uh, in that earlier clearing of the temple in John 2, that the animals in the temple courts were also driven out. That isn't expressly mentioned in our passage, but it is also Um, A hint of Jesus being aware that these would soon be unnecessary, Uh, even if temporarily they should have been taking on the buying and selling somewhere else and not profiteering on it. So the days of the physical temple building were numbered. But as we um, have just touched on this idea that Jesus is the temple, Jesus has become the temple. It's worth touching on a couple of other scriptures. There's one here in in John 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling, literally tabernacled, going back to that temporary tent that we talked about earlier. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we know also from 1 Corinthians, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So Christ was, was, he had all of God in him dwelling, the new temple. Notice the two different reactions. This is in verses 15 and 16. The children in the temple courts, what were they doing? Shouting. Hosanna to the son of David. They saw what happened and that was their response. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were indignant and asked him, Do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have called forth praise. And Jesus left them. I think we've touched on uh, the different aspects of the story, and I I just want to use the remaining moments to draw a few lessons for us. Um, Perhaps the primary one, especially if you've got in your mind that formidable story of the Old Testament practice of, of God dwelling there in a mighty way, in a place you couldn't easily draw near to, others having to act on your behalf, the priests, to make sacrifices for your sin. Um, one of the first things I, I pick up from this is that, of course, in Christ, this is not, not keep away anymore, but draw near. Uh, we said Christ is the fulfilment of the temple, but in Christ, believers have become the place where God dwells. This is expressly stated in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So in the Old Testament, fear, keep your distance. In the New Testament, this is in Hebrews 4, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Perhaps in the current times that we are in, um, what, what, a, what a need there is to approach this mighty God who is sovereign and in control even of the crisis that we are in. But to feel that we, we can approach boldly uh, and receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. The other thing uh, which is interesting to note yes the sacrifices the specific type of sacrifices being offered in the temple uh, are no longer required because Jesus once and for all death and the shedding of his blood as a one without sin um, meant that these sacrifices were no longer required Jesus sacrifice was sufficient for our sin but we are still to offer sacrifices um, Hebrews 13 in verses 15 to 16 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And other lovely words, in Psalm 51 and verse 17, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. God, you will not despise. It's a very healthy thing to have a brokenness in our hearts that can, in one view, see our sin, in another, see the awful pain and punishment of Jesus for our sin, and holding the both together, uh, our spirits are broken. This is a healthy and a good sacrifice to offer to God. next lesson is about holiness, that it really does matter. That was one of the reasons why Jesus was driving out these unwholesome practices. And if we now see that in Christ uh, God dwells in us, it's got to be an obvious question for us as we look within us. Are there things deep within us that need driving out? Things that are getting in the way of us Drawing near to God and experiencing him more fully. All of us, I'm sure, would long for his presence to be more felt. We long to experience him. uh, In keeping with some of what we've read, uh, I wonder if we do realise what that may mean. Um, There are some words in Malachi that, that warn us uh, this is in Malachi three and verses one and two. It says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. And I think in, in a measure we may see that fulfilled in what we, in this passage we are looking at. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Perhaps the final thing, maybe a more minor point from all that we've been looking at, but uh, apart from the bad practices and, and evil ways that may be needing to be removed, just the sheer fact of busyness in the temple of God was, was, was needing to be stopped so that people could hear from him. You may remember even stories of old when Hannah was hearing from God and she was near the temple she wouldn't have been able to hear from God if uh, the priest wouldn't have even noticed her praying if there was such busyness the temple needed to be a quiet place so deep within us we need to um, know how to be quiet um, to draw near to God so I hope all of that uh, skim through has been a blessing to you I will, I will um, we'll lead on to a couple of songs now uh, and after that, I will pray, but even beyond that, please, uh, in your homes, uh, just, just fellowship together and pray a little more uh, until we meet again in whatever form. Amen. So we'll have two more songs uh, now in succession. Uh, One of them, again, the words will be on the PDF if you can access that. Steve will have told you how. The first one is 298, Hosanna in the highest, and that will be followed uh, by 341, You are the King of Glory. I'm in prayer now. Our Heavenly Father we ask you to uh, help us just to take these simple thoughts about your presence and the temple. You require holiness to help us to look within and to challenge ourselves and in this time of increased isolation that we will take the opportunities to draw near to you. We stand back amazed. Uh, There is, in a sense, so much going on, how this practice of the temple and the sacrifices had gone on for so many years, and soon after Jesus' death and resurrection, that that function of the temple was gone, and Jesus was now uh, the primary place where the spotlight was that God dwelt on earth. And through his spirit given to his people, we... Uh, carry this on. Lord, we pray that you will remind us that we are temples, that you will help us to keep our house in order, to clear it and sweep it clean, that we may be holy and that in the sense of communing you with you, we will not be busy. Do bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.